In this week's episode, Chris talks the trials and tribulations of the ending X-Men books, T raves about the end of Unstoppable Wasp, and we wrap up with the little macho man Brandy Savage. Seriously. It's all happening now on Cover B. What's up, everybody? Hey there. Welcome back to Cover B. That's what this is. Yeah. I, what? Hmm? I mean, yeah, what else would we be? Yeah, just live in your own dream world, man. What? What? I don't know. I read comics. I read comics too, oh my Woo! god. Woo! That's awesome. So, Age of X-Man is over. Nice. That's it's finally officially over. It's done, everybody. We made it. Um, Age Somehow of X-Man Omega. Through. So here's the funny thing. There were two X-Books out this week, right? There was okay. Age of X-Man Omega and Uncanny X-Men 22. Right. And they both served to be kind of the ending of what's been happening with the X-Men to lead into next week, which is House of X. Okay. Or House of 10 or House of two intersecting lines on a tilt i don't know what they're calling it these days um is it house of x and power of 10 it's supposed to be powers of 10 apparently and that's supposed to make sense as we read it i heard from the artist that they totally slip up and call powers of x like on the reg that's fine i love twitter yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and admittedly it's funny because the one, so one of those is just like the end of a story arc, essentially, Uncanny 22. Okay. And one of those is uh, the end of like a major event, which is Age of X-Men Omega. You know what I mean? Okay. Uncanny 22 does so much more to shake up the status quo of the X-Men leading into House of X than anything Age of X-Men does. Really? Age of X-Men kind of just ends... So we, throughout the duration of the Age of X-Men, like, Age of X-Men series, minis, um, we've been seeing various X-Men kind of have, like, weird memories of their old life and, like, start to wonder if, you know, start to question their reality, man, and, uh, you know, like... What's even real, man? Yeah, waking up, kind of. They, they, we watched the X-Men get woke. Um, <laughs> okay, I like it. And... Some of them reacted in different ways. Some of them reacted violently. But it all culminated in everyone except for the, uh, what was the, the extremists, which were the, like, spec ops people, which was, like, Cyclops, or Psylocke and Blob and Jubilee and Iceman and okay. Northstar and I don't know who the other girl is. I just don't. I'm a bad X fan. Um, anyway, it was them. Being, like, really extreme and, like, erasing people's memories and stuff. Oh, snap. And for whatever reason, none of them show up to the final battle. (laughs) Oh. And even though they're, like, rioting and, like, literally rioting in the streets because they're, like, these are fake people. Fuck you. And, like, throwing bricks at people and shit. And setting shit on, like, Jubilee just walks down a, like, thoroughfare just setting shit on fire. Oh, my God. she's, like, they're fake people. Fuck them. It's crazy. But they don't show up for the final final battle. I thought that was weird. That's um, super random. But then X-Man is just like, I tried to make a better world. And there's all this, like, they lay down all this groundwork for, like, some of them don't want to go back. Some of them are like, this place is freaking sweet. I want to stay here. 
Um, and they just kind of like, no, you don't like push them through the portal. <laughs> and then everyone just kind of leaves. Like nature girl is like literally in tears. Cause she doesn't want to go back to her like old life, which I don't know enough about nature girl to know what traumatic crap she's got going on in her life that does that she, seem very uh, familiar there's something there because i well i mean she got to be like a leading member of the x-men which is cool so i mean that in and of itself kind of sucks when you're like hey guess what you're like one of the outcasts sorry um yeah there's i i feel like i remember reading a book i couldn't tell you which one yeah, yeah. but i feel like i remember reading a book where nature girl's powers like were really unpleasant was it generation x because she was in that one that might maybe with like i boy and a few other people i don't know um, but it, it was it was a while ago and anywho, it, she seemed unhappy so she, she was like literally sobbing and then nightcrawler and the p and i think um colossus and kitty if i remember right were also on the side of like let's just stay here this is pretty great um or no, Colossus and Kitty wouldn't have been. They were on... Anyway, some of them were like... I know Nightcrawler and Nature Girl were like, I just want to stay. Um, and then, like, Nightcrawler just kind of, like, shuts up and then leaves. And, like, Storm literally, like, oh, it's okay, Nature Girl. And, like, <laughs> takes her away. <laughs> you what know? the hell? And, anyway, it, they all just kind of leave except for X-Man. And then Magneto stays behind because the whole premise is that in order to destroy this world they've created, um, he has to shove the light seed into Nate Gray's chest to destroy it. Okay. But he instead makes a deal where I guess he can exist in both worlds now because he, like, leaves out of the portal and then comes right back. Oh. But he's also outside the portal. Oh. Anyway. Um uh sure because it's it's the same thing they did with secret warps like the infinity warps infinite warps stuff is that they wanted to just keep that alternate world alive they just want to make because it an option totally, for later totally fine like just straight up torpedoing the ultimate universe but all these like garbage like amalgam universes let's keep those alive just in case we want to like cash in which they're bringing the ultimate universe back so what i, I shouldn't yeah long story um, what anywho uncanny then <laughs> sees like the last two issues of uncanny see the death of madrix madrix multiple man okay it sees the death of uh warlock it sees the death of banshee oh my god um it sees magic going full demon full wild child whoa um whoa and because she lost her they took her mutant powers and so she had to succumb to the demon essentially um it what sees emma frost erasing mutant kind from mankind's memory and perception so literally like at one point havoc like throws a giant blast in the air and no one even reacts and it sees the death of havoc what so super spoilers Holy there crap. sorry to ruin that for you guys but that's two issues oh my god <laughs> two oh and uh juggernaut juggernaut got uh juggernaut got what his uh the stone of sidorak got ripped out of him and he got like thrown into hell <laughs> wtf yeah um so that was um, insane um okay so yeah the last two issues of uncanny x-men did all this like change like 
tons of changing around and age of x-man ultimately just like forces everybody back into the portal and it's like here you go <laughs> and then eventually at the end of uncanny like the whole mind wiped world thing is over and the x-men come back and save the remaining x-men from total annihilation at the hands of some really beefed up sentinels and then you know they they have this moment where they're like you know we could change it we could you know not erase like they're still hidden from mankind essentially yeah um and they like have to make a decision like do we want to stay in hiding or do we want to like no one will know like the lengths we went to to like stop this crazy like u.s military guy and all the destruction he got and like all the losses we had and stuff like nobody will know that if we stay in hiding so do we want to like get out of hiding and then they like destroy the thing that emma was using and they're like right back to being like hated by mankind and stuff like that you know um but it was it was a lot bigger of a change like yeah the 22 issue uncanny run did so much more to like change up the like scott lost a freaking eye and like we saw the not psylocke psylocke come back you know the only like weird hangover that we might have from age of x-man is that like blob and psylocke might be a thing now which is adorable yeah that's really cute um, though i would like to keep that ship sailing but that's like it whereas on uncanny we have like dark beast is dead and banshee's dead and this guy's dead and that guy's dead and you know so yeah it's just weird now we got you know house of x coming in and hickman's coming in to write it and i'm excited but i'm also a little nervous you know that's fair um and this is a good time to segue into a quick rant about an interview i read with hickman recently recent news insert everybody um which has me you know looking forward to house of x and powers of x hickman's gonna be doing this like i guess it's gonna be like a 12 week run to into the fall and then there's gonna be a bunch of like x titles relaunching from there so they're gonna do like one week house of x comes out next week powers of x and they're gonna do that interchanging thing until both of them reach their six issue arc and then they're gonna like relaunch so I'm guessing in not September, October probably we'll have like new X titles launching. Hmm. Um, okay. And those are all going to be part of this like multi-year story that Hickman's building, that he's like restructuring all these things. And he's got these like big lofty plans, which is what he does. It's what he did to invigorate, like reinvigorate Fantastic Four. It's what he did to reinvigorate the Avengers, like. He built up this huge, like, multi-year thing leading into Secret Wars, which ultimately killed off the Ultimate Universe and all these other multiverses and, like, restructured the entirety of what we know of the Marvel Universe. Um, but I'm nervous because in his thing, you know, we had the key issues a while back about, right. like, how big events at Marvel tend to just not go anywhere. They peter out um lack and of they, commitment much like age of x-man it's just like well this is over back to your normal lives you know um and that's kind of what he says is like the like sop of writing a marvel event is like he describes it as like you know when you're done in the playroom you put all your toys away and so he's he's essentially saying and he i may be drastically misinterpreting his words but he essentially says like you know 
when you're writing one of these big events, you write it and you can tear down as much as you want during and you can like cause as much chaos during the event. But once you're done, everything needs to be right back where it was. Huh. And I mean, if Jason Aaron's War of the Realms is any indication, that seems to be what Marvel wants. You know, Donny Cates is talking all this hype about how like absolute carnage is going to like tear shit up and it's going to leave shit in ruins and it's going to be crazy and there's going to be all kinds of changes and people like things are going to change and stay changed and he hasn't specifically said people are going to die but kind of hinted towards it you know what i mean but like yeah is that true or is that him just building up hype you know is marvel's thing like hey don't leave things is that like official like is hickman giving us a peek behind the marvel curtain that it's not just these writers that are worried or like individual editors that are worried it's like the marvel credo is don't leave shit in shambles i mean it's also there there's also the possibility that kate's is like hot right now and so marvel's like yeah yeah do it how you want and then he'll get four issues till the end and they're like oh, yeah, no, you can't leave that character like that. And, oh, hmm. no, no, that character can't stay dead. Yeah. And, like, make him retcon I mean, a bunch of shit. And then yeah. his last four issues in his run is going to be all about putting pieces back together in ways that don't necessarily make sense, which yeah. has happened in books before. Yeah. We've watched that go down. He's full-on changed a lot of stuff already, even just on his, like, Thanos and Venom runs. Yeah. And, like, with Venom specifically, like... A huge plot point to Eddie Brock was that, you know, part of his devotion to the symbiote and part of why he was willing to put up with the madness the symbiote caused and stuff was not that he was necessarily this vengeful, bad person, but that he had cancer and the symbiote helped him with that. Hmm. Um, but we found out recently in Venom that the symbiote made him think he had cancer <gasps> so that it would need he would need the symbiote. And there was other things, like oh the symbiote God. erased memories, like he potentially has a kid, and <gasps> the symbiote erased those memories, and like, changed how he saw his dad, and like, all this stuff. So not so and, much symbiote, much more parasite. Yeah, and um, you know, shit like that, and you know, he completely changed the origin of the symbiotes, and completely like, inducted this new, like, really ancient dark tie to the symbiotes. So, like, in, you know, the god Null. But, like, so he's already done a lot to shake shit up. But, you know, really how much is that shook up and how much is that just, like, full-on retconning stuff? Yeah. You know, he hasn't murdered anybody. He hasn't killed anybody off. He hasn't, like... Erased characters. Yeah, you know, like, there were plenty of deaths in the Thanos run, but it was, like, future Thanos and future Silver Surfer and future Galactus and future Cosmic Ghost Rider and stuff like that, you know? And well, it's... and he hasn't brought in any characters that are, like, Earth-changing, because, like, yeah, Null's cool, but, like, it's still some, you know, distant space god. Yeah. Like, and you know, which like, there could be a billion Cosmic Ghost Rider has a lot of potential to be a major player in a lot of these stories, especially because coming up, there's i think jason aaron's writing it because i think he's still gonna keep doing avengers he's just getting off of thor um he's doing a big like event in avengers that's like the race of the ghost riders and like all the ghost riders are getting called down to hell to like race with johnny blaze who's the king of hell by the way um which is awesome uh that's new 
And so Cosmic Ghost Rider very well could be a part of that and cause some complications because he is Frank Castle with a future Spirit of Vengeance, but it's like the same Spirit of Vengeance as Johnny Blaze, I think. And you know what I mean? So like there could be a lot of like complications that come from that character in like a Ghost Rider related event. Yeah. Um, And that would be cool. That would be really cool. I mean, Um, like what happens when you take a demon to the past? I don't know. You know, like demons are considered to be like without time and like there's ever the big trope is that like time works differently in the afterlife and in hell and stuff. So like what happens when a demon goes to the past? Like what can a demon exist at the same time in the same place? But would it still be like one consciousness because it's without time? Like, you know what I mean? Like. Or would it, like, cease to manifest in the other body? Yeah, like, body? if, if a, like... like, metaphysical spirit is without time, right? So, like, we are with time. So, yeah. like, if I traveled back to two years ago, I would exist at the same time as my two-year-old self, or two years younger self, but, like, that would be because I am two years older me, and they are right now me. Right. But, like, if a demon is without time, you know... Then, like, if it travels back in time, can it exist in the same space? Or would it, like, that would makes... there be complications? Yeah, would mean, it be, it... like, part of itself? Or, or maybe, you know? like I said, maybe it's, like, it shows up and it stops existing within Johnny Blaze because yeah. it's fully existing within Frank Castle or it's something. Just, yeah, you know it's what just, I mean? It's like... just cool stuff that it, and I don't know if it's, I admittedly do not know if it's, if they've ever said if it's the same spirit of vengeance as, as Johnny Blaze. But that would be dope. Um, They've just kind of like modeled him after Johnny Blaze. So it feels like it would be yeah. like, why if you're Frank Castle in space, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you make a deal with the devil to become the spirit of vengeance, why would you go with a motorcycle? You know what I mean? Like Johnny Blaze makes sense that he went with a motorcycle, but then like, you know, Robbie Reyes went with a car because that's what he did. Well, Frank drives around in a big freaking van, and he's the freaking Punisher. Why wouldn't he go with, like, a tank? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, that like, a flying space jet or something, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I, I'm nervous about House of X and Powers of X, and honestly, that was just kind of, like, that nervousness was ranked up, like, another tick Yeah. with how Age of X-Man ended. And Uncanny was a nice little bit of, like, chaos yeah. to see happening. Like, all these characters getting off and all these powers being shifted and relationships being shifted. Like, Gene comes back and immediately goes to Scott and smooches him, which they make a point to show, like, Emma and Wolverine being not okay with that. Yeah. But then, like, they don't seem to really be, like, ready to, like, it's not like they're immediately like, let's have a relationship. Like, in the next few panels, they kind of just go off and do their own thing. So it's almost like, was that, like, I want us to be a thing again, or was it just like, we were oh, a I'm thing, so, and I'm, I'm so glad happy you're, not, you're dead. not dead. I'm happy you're not dead. You know, smooch, move on. Because neither one of them knows the other is really alive, still. Yeah. Because Scott came back, hid in the shadows, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if he would know if Gene was alive. I don't know. I'm fuzzy on... It's been a while since I read all that shit. So I don't know if Gene was gone already when Scott came back. But... You know, there's some level, though... Because like, it was Uncanny 10 when they disappeared. Not to so. not to discredit the change that occurred, that occurred in Uncanny, but to some extent for a long time, particularly since 
the MCU has been more well established and Fox did not want to play nice in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. X-Men characters in comics have been relatively expendable. Yeah. Like if a crossover event is going or or a book is going to cause a bunch of chaos and make a bunch of change and kill off a bunch of people, it's probably going to be an X-Men title. Mm-hmm. Cuz they're like, "Oh, well, we'll just kill him off and oh, well, we'll pull him out of another dimension later." Or it's Jean Grey and she can die and come back as much as we feel like because that's really annoying. Yeah. Cuz nobody, I mean, nobody in Marvel stays dead unless your name is Marvel. <laughs> Which I kind of feel sad for him. You know it'd be a cool event and this is totally like taking up time that we could be talking about other things. But you know it would be a cool crossover event that would make Marvel all the monies. What? Cuz if they advertised a 6-issue crossover event like six issue major event where marvel came back and he came back as the personification of permadeath and they advertise it as like by the end of this event one of your favorite characters will be dead forever <laughs> That's you know what i mean and they could even go into like full-on like 90s 80s comics and have like a poll like have people like vote online have like a tournament bracket no no, style no, no, no. Thing. there is only one you know? person who would make sense to be permadeath hmm. gwenpool because she's oh, already boy. no not because i want her gone like gwenpool's cool but uh. because if you think about her awareness mm-hmm. of comics mm-hmm. it makes sense that she would be able to permadeath and she's the only one who's aware of what she's in like, there's some meta-geniusness to that. Side note, it's weird to me that any time a comic book character finds out they are in a comic book, it's always done in, like, a humorous way. Because that could be a really bleak... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if someone looked at you and was like, hey, your life is a construct, you're just, like, a tool of entertainment for, like, children and adults, and, you know, some dude you will never be able to interact with who is not a god is just a human being is essentially in control of your life until he passes you off to another like underpaid human being i feel like that was briefly addressed in howard the duck <laughs> i think um and not in like a funny way in a like yeah. this is really jacked up i think in a they talk about it in the spider-man annual that came out a few weeks ago spider ham and howard the duck have this really meta conversation about how they're both goofy characters made to be humorous but they can't die and like what's the point of life and stuff like this yeah that's what i'm saying and, um, howard knows dude i think in deadpool kills i have not actually read and this is gonna get me like this is gonna get a shut down immediately because it's gonna shoot my fan cred in the <laughs> foot um i have not read deadpool kills in the marvel universe just because i've never really been that in on deadpool to be honest um but sorry fam by my knowledge of it that's what happens is he uses like through his like realization that he's a comic book character he decides f it i'm gonna kill everybody huh to like ruin the comics i think that's the goal is he wants to like ruin the comics by making everyone dead huh. like if everyone's dead they can't write comics and then maybe they'll like confront me or something I, I don't know full on but i think it takes that dark tone of him being like oh cool i'm a comic book character well you don't matter you know well, that's interesting <laughs> so anywho what did you read yeah so in terms of marvel stuff i had a new and two endings 
Cool. So my new one is Neat. Loki number one. Sweet. Which it, it didn't super wow me as a number one. It's Kibble Smith, my bro. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoy him. Um, and it it was funny and it had a really clever part. I mean, currently Loki made himself a second in command where he used the Nornstones to give life to a snowman and named him Frosty. Oh, God. You'd think after, like, killing the king of the frost giants and, like, being a two-faced dude for so long that when he came back from getting eaten by Laufey, he would maybe want to, like, lay low. Like, just keep things, like, a little low-key. I hate you. (laughs) I hate you. I was trying. I was like, where is he going with this? And it... (laughs) Had to be for that. Yeah, it was it was a long way to go for a stupid pun. You're the worst. I I am literally terrible. I, I was really entertained though because there's part where Thor's like, you can't just use the Norn stones. Like they help decide fate. And Loki's like, as far as important stones in the galaxy goes, these don't even rank top six. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, that's really true. That is, <laughs> that's that is that's completely valid. But um, yeah, I think it looks promising. I am hoping that there's going to be some delightful social commentary, weird dark twistness that typically happens from the Kibblesmith. That's what he does. He like sucks you in with this super playful, silly, goofy stuff, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa, this is really real!" And I don't know what's happening. Um, Also, if we could get some lockjaw in Loki, that'd be cool too. Just throwing that out there. Don't know if you've already got everything like set in stone with <laughs> editors, but like, yeah, come on, Dan, come on, my man, let's do this. Yeah. Um, and do then like a Loki Lockjaw crossover called Lokejaw. <laughs> Loki Jaw. L- Locky. The Adrian. <laughs> Lucky. I was trying to come up with like a name that would be relevant, but I couldn't come mm-hmm. up with anything. Um, and then two endings from Marvel: Domino and the Hot Shots, which I thought ended kind of weirdly abruptly. Hmm. Personally, like I think it was always yeah. supposed to be a five issue mini. Yeah, I think it was a five issue from but the start. It felt really weird to me because it it like the second to last episode or episode I always do that. The second to last issue, it was like trucking along, do to do, weird sudden stop, and then the last and like the last issue was like, and here we resolve some stuff, and now mm-hmm. it's over. And I was like, well, we all so are we just like done with Domino now? Like, yep. Is this team done, Gail? Anything? <laughs> Anything going on? Bueller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just sort of like ended i mean it was a cute run and i appreciate it i mean they gotta get it done before house of x starts i guess they're literally just like crushing everything yeah just like torpedoing everything to get which i mean cool whatever i don't know there's a lot of ladies in the x-men yeah (sighs) and then the other book that ended i had a really hard week with all these endings guys um my other my other marvel ending was unstoppable wasp which Mm. ended at issue 10 okay um i cannot give enough praise to this run oh yeah um it it addressed mental health it addressed 
trans it, it interests like gender issues and and sexuality and um you know feminism and and all of these things kindly and i i know that sounds weird but like so much of the media now presents these concepts either one way or the other, either positively or negatively or, or you know, whatever side that you're on. Yeah. In in really harsh tones. Mm-hmm. Your your female furies, your your man eaters, your, you know, whatever. And this was just so gentle. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind and they're sweet and they're young and they're innocent and they care and they're smart and you know two girls become girlfriends for the first time and it's their first relationship Uh and it's like really sweet and like she has to deal with one of the girls has to deal with her mom being a total bitch about it but like her dad's really supportive and kind and like everything wraps up with really sweet heartwarming but not like like unrealistic like it makes sense the way that things happen and the way these characters developed and the way that they're still total badasses and ending criminals and now Nadia's is gonna go with um um janet and try and stop ultron oh neat because <laughs> why not yeah, yeah and i don't know it's just nice to read a book that does things without a heavy hand like you can wear gloves and still approach really sensitive topics and sometimes it's really nice to wear gloves when you address a sensitive topic yeah yeah. sometimes it's nice to approach certain topics and certain things without all the weight of like the you know ongoing argument and commentary of those things yeah like sometimes it's nice to have like a hey, I'm gay just because. Or like, hey, we're women, cool. You know, like, hey, I've got mental health, but I'm dealing. That kind of yes, thing, you know, and it's, it's like, true. it's good to have the very heavy commentaries that lay into like the ongoing discussions and the history of these things and rely heavily on your knowledge of those or like try to make you interested to find out the knowledge of those. You know what I mean? Like, right. try to make you learn, try to keep you woke, you know, those kind right. of things. But then it's kind of fun from time to time to just have stories that exist in a vacuum. Well, and, and just like, hey, this is refreshing and these chicks are badass. Yay. This might be yeah. kind of a, a weird thought, but even like young adult media nowadays is mm-hmm. really heavy. Like, it's not fun and light and whatever anymore. Like, you've got Riverdale, which is super dark and, like, serial killers and people getting slaughtered. And you've got, you know, Pretty Little Liars, which has, like, really adult themes. And all of these things that are presented to a younger audience, but they're all really heavy. There's no, like, Sweet Valley High or Pleasant Nancy Drew. Like, things are really dark and intense all the time. So to read something that's kind of got this YA angle... And it's still, like, kind enough to be young mm-hmm. and to be, you know, fun. I I mean, I know that I'm, like, 30, but sometimes I don't want to read something that I have to read six times to figure out what I'm trying to learn, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I, and I don't want to read something that I put it down and I go, well, I'm depressed. Better go eat a popsicle. Yeah. Like, I just want to feel nice. Yeah, you just want to feel good. <laughs> just want to have fun and that book made me feel nice and yeah. everyone should go pick up that book because the more support maybe they'll give him another run later mm-hmm. it, it it's a great book it supports a lot of really good causes 
science and STEM for women. Like, mm. just just go pick up the damn Seeking book. Seeking out support for mental health and yes, stuff like that. Yes, and he consulted mental health professionals before he wrote it to yeah. make sure he wrote it in the right way, in the right presentation. Who was, who was writing this one? Uh, this was Jeremy... Uh, Jeremy Whitley. Okay. Nice. Yeah. He, like, he made sure that he presented this in the way that was most appropriate and that he would not do damage. He would contribute to the conversation. And he did. And apparently, like, he got all sorts of response with people admitting, saying, your book convinced me. It's time to go talk to someone. Mm. And that's, like, yes! When you're not trying to drive, like, creepy 13 reasons why down people's throats. Yeah. Like... Wow, you can have an impact by showing a positive end instead yeah, of a negative like one. Yeah, I feel sometimes creators forget that, like, it's it's great if you're a creator and you just really have a point you want to make and that's what drives you. That's right. fine. Yeah. That's totally fine. Totally. But, like, creators and consumers both, like, I feel like sometimes forget, and this is a huge topic I preach to people about, like, D&D and stuff, but it applies here and it applies with movies Sometimes it's just about it being fun. Yes. You know, like, everyone I talk to just shit all over Suicide Squad. But honestly, if you, yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, it's rushed character development. Yeah, the story leaves a lot to be wanted. The villain's a little bit blasé. But there's some really fun moments yeah. in that movie. And if you just sit back and grab your popcorn and just try to have, like, a fun, colorful time with Margot Robbie being funny, then, like... It's fun. It's yeah. a fun movie, you know? And with this, like, it doesn't have to be, like, really intense. Like, it, I remember you telling me it had its really intense moments, especially with the mental health stuff. But, like, it doesn't have to be, like, aggressively intense. It can just be fun. And you're still going to get a message. It's like, you know, if I take the time and I go out and I buy some, like, real nice russet potatoes, locally grown, like, big ass russet potatoes and i come home and i treat them and cut them and fry them i'm gonna have some badass potato chips yeah it's gonna take me time be covered in grease my house is gonna be covered in grease i'm gonna have badass potato chips and that's gonna be nice but is that something i want to do every night or like after a hard day work when i want potato chips do i want to get my russet potatoes out and cut them up and get the oil or do i just want to open a bag of plain lays and go to town you know yeah. and sometimes in entertainment you just need those lays you just need the potato chips you just yeah. need something that doesn't take a lot of requirement from you and it's just a fun enjoyable time <laughs> yeah you know and i think that's why like spider-man movies do so well they don't try to be more than they need to be you know yeah. like every iteration of spider-man that has come out has just been fun movies that are fun and you know when it fun. didn't work amazing spider-man 2 when they did try to get too heavy. Yeah, and when they tried to, like, oh, death and friend betrayal. He got all and broody and nobody bought it. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, no, I, that's cool. Yeah. Like, definitely, if you're listeners, some listeners out there, go out and go out and pick out Unstoppable Wasp, and hopefully there'll be more Wasp. I really I, would love to read the series of, like, J her and Janet fighting Ultron. That sounds, God, that sounds, sounds amazing. Cool. And so. honestly, Ultron's been brought up in, um, squirrel girl a couple times mm -hmm. and i'm like hey writers hint squirrel girl could go space hint there's, there's space squirrels 
hands. Um, over on the DC side of life, um, <laughs> Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number one, the book everyone has been waiting for. Get your Batman dams out of my face. <laughs> Get your black labels and your white knights out of my face. Get your action comics and your detective comics out of here. Superman's pal Jimmy, or maybe Jimmy, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make any assumptions. Olsen, number one, came out today. Written by Matt Fraction. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was really funny. It was very aware of itself. Like That's it nice. made it like... What I love about Matt Fraction books when he does like mainstream superhero books is that he is very aware of like the long running era where comic books were cheesy as shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like books opened with these like long winded narratives and like characters were just like grandiose and bombastic and like there's one one part where like um, Clark Kent walks into the Daily Bugle daily bugle shit you're fired um the daily planet oops crossover event of the ages in jimmy olsen is that the jangle of pitchforks in the distance too many jimmies um oh the smell of torches at my doorstep um (laughs) the daily planet he walks in as jimmy's getting his asshole reamed by uh perry white and the publisher like looks at clark and says something along the lines of like you need to like you need to get jimmy out of here or something and clark is like i don't know that might be a job for superman and then like winks at the camera and then the next panel is it pulled back and he's like literally winking past the publisher and the publisher's like all right (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like shit like that like that's totally something that would have happened in like og like dc comics and uh it wasn't as like like the little preview we got in the DC Year of the Villain twenty five cent book made it seem like it was really gonna be just like transgressive and crazy and there was like you know uh, the Red Lantern cat Dexter was like <gasps> Dexter vomiting blood all over this room and stuff like that I and love it was Dexter. like really intense and they haven't really gotten there yet but it was still very funny um, and it introduced me to my new favorite phrase. My new favorite insult, Uh-oh. which is ambul- ambulatory boondoggle. The hell does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Perry White calls Jimmy Olsen an ambulatory boondoggle, and it's my new favorite insult. That's pretty amazing. I, I love it. Say. It's great. Um, it's a mouthful. It's definitely worth picking up. Uh, it's just going to be a short series, I think. I don't think it's an ongoing, but I don't I don't know for sure. But uh, it's, it's funny. It was a very funny book. So. I, I love it when you got some, some entertaining. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any DC this week. I'm sorry, fam. Um, I should have. It was some. a light week for DC. It was a light week. Like they it had was. Batman, they had Aquaman, a lot of the Year of the Villain stuff. Uh, Pearl, I think. And Teen I read Pearl, Titans. but I didn't. Wanna, I don't want to talk about Pearl. I read it, but I don't want to talk about it this week because yeah. the next issue is the ending issue, and I'd like to. I'd like to talk about it as it's over. Was it good? It was good. Cool. It's there you get, go. Shit's getting real. You talked about it. Yeah. Tricked, um, you. Tricked you, bitch. Oh, jeez. Well, speaking <laughs> of funny books, Sweet. Assassination ended. Oh, cool. And it was so good. It how, was so good. How did the saga of what's his name? Doug? Was it Doug? Greg? Dave. Gary. Dave. Dave and fuck Tarrington. Fuck Tarrington. And they both made it! Yay! Woo! I'm so happy! 
Dave is best assassin waifu. The like top four made it out, man. It's nice. awesome. I'm so happy. Like fun. so weird how I actually got like marginally connected to these this, characters. Yeah, yeah, this, like, and they made you think in this last issue, like Dave and Fuck got like blowed up and like the remaining female assassin got like shot in the head and you're like, oh my God, all this bad stuff is terrible. And we're watching like our main protagonist get like shot in the hip and he's like all bleeding on the side of a wall. He's getting like a villain speech to him because that's what they do. They that's give their they villain speech. They give speeches. And then all of a sudden it was just like, no, it's cool. We're fine. David Fuck managed to make it into a panic room so the bomb didn't hit him. Everything was great. And the bad guy got killed, and everything was great. <laughs> and then fantastic. they set it up for a potential new run where there's a whole wide world of assassins that were mm-hmm. much farther than the top 20, and they're all coming for the four. I feel like um, I feel like that book is just, like, itching for a movie. Oh, my God. But, like, done by, so like, done by, like, the super bad guys. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, you get, like, Seth Rogen and, like, you have John Hamm playing fuck Tarrington. <laughs> no, I think maybe. Well, no, I think I actually think John Hamm would be the perfect villain. Oh, like, yeah, the villain guy? The guy who starts out as like the deceiver and ends up the villain. Mm. He'd be perfect for that. He just needs to be like blonde. But I think it would be great. But like you need somebody super random to play like fuck Tarrington because he's like this behemoth of a man with like absurd redneck facial hair. Like it's great. I don't know, but everything about it, like, I still really like Ed Helms' Dave. Like, I think that's canon. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm sold. Ed Helms' Dave. Mark yeah. Wahlberg. Oh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> that actually would be really good. Yeah. There, yeah, like, I don't know. Mark Wahlberg might be too intense, because Fuck's kind of a nice guy. Mm, uh, he, mm, he starts off as an asshole. Dave right. brings him around. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I think I I've seen the other guys. It's yeah, possible. Fair. Fair I mean, then again, you could put a mustache on Will Ferrell, and that would probably be really funny. <laughs> that would just be funny. Yeah. I I'm I don't know. All I'm saying is, Erica Henderson, your art was perfect for this book, and we need a movie. Yeah. It's perfect. Um, Sonata Number Two came out this week. Uh, I talked real real positively about Sonata Number One, and I still am really enjoying this book. The artwork's awesome. I love the world that they're setting up. They're adding even more, like, kind of lore into this. Um, but I, I admittedly am a little bummed with this issue. Uh-oh. So when we were introduced to this world in issue one, um, we were focused on the main character, Sonata. Mm-hmm. She was, like, narrating. Um, and she's from this tribe that's very, like, peace, you know, peace first kind of thing. They, like, live in conjunct with the planet so they have like a lot of natural stuff they ride on these like flying dinosaur type things called thermosaurs um and they like go out and greet like newcomers because essentially they're leaving their planet because the resources are all gone to shit um, and they're trying to find like make a new way on this planet then there's this other tribe from this other planet that is all like industry and industrial and war and stuff like that so they're like they're not fun, but otherwise they have, like, diplomatic, like, you know, okayness with each other, you know? Right, like, right, right. They're not warring with each other necessarily. They just don't really get along. Um, 
and the whole like conflict builds up because the industrial ones build a dam without asking and cut off the indigenous peoples and sonata's tribe from the river well, that sucks. And they're like, hey, you can go north. There's water north. And they're like, we don't want to go north. We're here. Like, just, This is where we why live. Why don't you just tear down your dam? You don't need the dam. And then they go and like sabotage it, and it causes drama. Um, this issue picks up being narrated by a dude from the industry tribe. Oh. And he, you know, the bomb goes off, blows up the dam. He goes off with a bunch of people. And then sees, like, some weird shit going down and goes down there and ends up joining up with one of the indigenous people in Sonata who are finding this, like, weird secret, like, teleporter stuff and secret temples and all kinds of, like, crazy stuff. They've got their own adventure going on. Anyway, where that puts us is we now have, like, two young people from warring tribes. Oh, no. One male, one female with differences of opinions and raised from different lives who are otherwise very open-minded and kind to one another in their own way. Don't do it. And I'm just like, wow, this is like, Oh God, horribly cliche, right? (laughs) Am I wrong? Like, it's like Romeo and Juliet is old and it's played out. And I'm, I, I don't, I don't know. No, stop. Like how many times have we seen that story where it's like man from one group woman from other group forced into like forced to work together they eventually find love and could it be any more on the nose putting him from like the warring industrial you know advanced side and she's from the like more you know eclectic like oh god gag me with a spoon yeah it just kind of bummed me out because like i don't know it's just a very i i hope that doesn't become the central like the central focus of the story was just like a device by which to have this like very cliched romance maybe he'll but like die know. or something yeah i don't know That's... or be gay maybe he'll be that'd gay. be cool maybe he's actually into the indigenous person that'd be who's cool like a big like they look like um you know the gorons from zelda yeah they look like that but they're like red and a little bit more like lizardy interesting yeah, yeah. maybe he's into that dude He's like, no, I just followed you down here because I noticed your head frills. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of new, exciting, random nations, um, I read Sarah and the Royal Stars, number Ooh, one. Neat, from Vault. Right? Yes. And it is okay. Okay. Um, okay. Not like a ton happened yet. Yeah. Um, she, typical princess is chosen by gods to do journey begins journey family all grumpy yeah the, i'm i'm having a mild issue with it because so i'm really particular this is a weird pet peeve of mine mm-hmm. and i think it was bred from my discord with the transition from kieran gillen to marguerite bennett on angela mm-hmm. and it's that i don't like when voicing and dialogue does not fit the tone. Okay. That's very... I so, so when it's, like, quippy shit, but it's, like, a kind of serious... Or it's, like, the opposite, where it's, like, very, like, heavy, like, kind of gaudy dialogue. Or even like when it feels time-displaced. So, like, 
when you're like using modern lingo and like like are you serious in in like a in like a fantasy book like i get that i I don't know there's um... something about it that really bothers me and i was actually like i was following along and everything's okay and like okay you know whatever she's existing and then she like gets approached by this essential like ancient god person who's like hey you need to do this thing and she's like are you serious it's you again and i'm like what (laughs) What? like it's just totally odd and like okay at some point i feel like when it's this ancient type like you know monarchies and they're in war and it's like super fantasy based and frilly and you know what i'm saying you got all this like extravagance the language should reflect that the language shouldn't sound like she could be texting her bro you know what i mean that's an ongoing thing bothers me so much Yeah, that's an ongoing thing i've noticed a lot in like modern literature is that like everyone kind of seems like they think they're the first person to like take an ancient being and give them like modern vernacular and make that funny and it's like it's been happening for quite a while you know what i mean like and it's not funny i can't come up i feel like i just read something that was that did that where it was like this like it was like death or some like greek god or something and granted admittedly (laughs) full peek behind the curtain real talk man to man what up fam um i'm totally doing that i'm writing a book where that's totally the fucking focus (laughs) (laughs) so i'm absolutely shooting myself in the foot here but it's it's like there's a big thing in modern literature where it's just like they take these like old beings or like archaic concepts and they give them like modern vernacular and they're like ain't that funny look at look at it's odin talking about like cracking open cold ones with his homies uh, you know and, and it's like, like it just eh. it doesn't it doesn't even just the dialect doesn't always work like yeah. she i don't understand it felt too it makes it feel too lighthearted. it takes yeah. away the gravity of the situation like you yeah. are being pulled into a vision by an ancient being and you're like seriously uh i just want to go back to bed yeah. i'm not feeling this like Some, yeah, it doesn't it's... sound totally accurate you would be as like a person in a random fantasy book if you're pulled into a fa- like a vision by an ancient god you're gonna be like oh, i'm terrified this is bizarre and things are terrible and, oh, oh my I goodness do declare. like there yeah. would be that um... element of seriousness and it just and that that i get spoiled i have been spoiled by yeah. the Kirons and the Jason Aarons of the world yeah, yeah. who are very good at maintaining that tone. Not everybody is good at voicing. You know what I mean? Like, not everybody is good at being like, how would this person sound? And a lot of people just try, they think the goal is just try to write as people talk. Make it approachable writing. Relatable. But the thing is, like, Ugh. first of all, nobody wants to read the way people talk. No. People talk in weird, like, pauses and stops and it's just... It, it works effectually when you need it to, but it's not something people want. But then you have to be careful with, like, vernacular and how sentences are structured and stuff. And it's, like, I have a big problem with this when I'm, like, listening to 
like creepy pasta, admittedly, or like scary stories, and even some like horror movies and stuff. If they like overuse swear words, it like completely takes me out. Yeah. And I overuse swear words in my day to day life. I drop f bombs and s bombs and a bombs and c bombs and z bombs all over the place. You may have noticed that our podcast now has an explicit <clears throat> yeah. rating. I got tired of trying to censor myself. <laughs> um, we gave up. But like, you know, when I'm like listening to this horror story and because i you know there's a few podcasts that like read like creepypastas and stories and stuff and the person who wrote the story had a moment where the person like and then i opened the door and i saw the body oh fuck i said to myself i'm like ugh, i'm just instantly out yeah i'm like the mood has just been like and that's how people probably would react like if i walked in and saw a dead body i'd probably be like oh work you know yeah. <laughs> but like i don't when i'm listening to a horror movie like tell me the like describe to me the gripping pull of fear tearing at your heart or something don't just be like oh shit you know yeah. and they they do that and then you know you add it to the podcast realm and it's these like narrators Weird. and voice actors and vo artists and stuff doing it and you know they're good but it's still awkward hearing these people with like prepared podcast voices being like oh damn homes you know and stuff like this that. this is like, this is one of my biggest pet peeves just yeah. because if you're writing something and it in some way has that flavor where it should be historical yeah and you make it sound modern i'm out and that's the only thing that I'm a little wishy-washy on this, Sarah, because I think the story could be really cool. And it's another one of those where it, you know, dropped us right down in the middle of it in media res. And I love that. But if she keeps talking like my friend from work, I'm not going to want to read this because mm -hmm. that's Fair not enough. that doesn't work. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about is Vampirella number one. So Vampirella turns 50 this year, and even though she's 50 years old, she doesn't look a day over Red Light District. Um, oh, burn! <laughs> that would be more of a guffaw joke than a burn. <laughs> um, anyway, so she has a number one out. Uh, it is pretty good. It's written by Christopher Priest, um, who did a recent run on uh, Deathstroke. And oh, okay. it's it's decent. It um has a lot going on initially, and admittedly, I haven't really read Vampirella over the years, right. so I don't know how many of these characters that are introduced, like this like weird undead Nazi guy and her quote unquote mother, and this like teenage girl that's obsessed with her, and like all this other stuff. Huh. Like I don't know how much of that has existed before now like how much is new and how much is repurposed or recycled but it was a it was a really fun read it um opens with her essentially just sitting in uh as psychologist's office i guess he was a psychologist probably not a psychiatrist because i don't think he prescribed or anything but the dude is like the least likely bro to be a psychologist like he's super like she's like hey yeah you know and she's being like very flippant like and open like hey i'm a vampire from 
the planet Draculon. You know, what I mean? yeah. like been around forever. And he's like, you know, he and he, he like his dialogue gets very meta. Like it constantly talks about her like wearing barely any clothes and like walking around wearing dental floss and like stuff <laughs> like that. And he keeps like one of the I love it so much because he keeps he's this like elderly black man and he just keeps being like okay so set some ground rules ain't no vampire ain't no werewolf ain't no ghosts and stuff like that and he keeps saying werewolf like they spell it like w-e-r-e-w-u-f-f and it's just so much fun like it's such a fun read and like i said i haven't really read much vampirella when i go back and look at it there's been some like amazing talent on vampirella oh yeah like there has been some like crazy people working on Vampirella in the past. Um, and so, you know, it's cool to have Christopher Priest on it because a lot of people love his writing and he's been doing some really cool books, some really cool story arcs. Um, so I'm hoping he takes it in like really cool directions, you know, and moves it away from some of the few Vampirella things I've read are fairly your basic run of the mill, like sexy girl in a horror movie type of thing. Like not, not like sexy girl, like I'm running away. Like, sexy, badass vampire in a horror movie kind of thing. Um, Every Mila Jovovich character ever. Yeah, it plays <laughs> plays out like the later Resident Evil movies. You know what I mean? Um, but this this was just a really fun read. It, was, it has enough to kind of hook me, so I'm probably going to keep picking it up. That's um, awesome. But it just, like, <laughs> that whole, like, her whole conversation with that. There was all this, like, background stuff of this, like, undead Nazi guy I mentioned, like, attacking her on a plane and plane crashing and, like, all these, like, weird background things. But I was entirely in it for the conversation between her and the psychologist. <laughs> it was so, like, I could read about him telling her there's no werewolf, like, a million times. Um, it was very good. So pick up Vampirella number one. It's it's 100% worth it. And I think that's it for us. Yep, that wraps it up. That ties it up in a little bow. Little knot. Yep. So, thank you for listening. Bye. No. (laughs) (laughs) If you want more of us, because, I don't know, you're still here for some reason. Uh, you can find us. What's that all about? Yeah, you can find us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at Cover Podcast. Chris and I both have Instagrams. You can find those on our website, www.coverbpodcast.com. We are doing some cool new stuff on our website. So if you want to listen to our episodes directly from the website, we are in the process of getting them all loaded up so you'll be able to listen directly from there. Your one stop shop for listening and following and buying merch because you want to buy cover b merch because you want to be cool one of the cool kids don't you want to be cool you want to be cool don't you want to be cool (laughs) you don't have to do drugs you gotta buy cover b (laughs) i got Uh, really amped jeez uh so yeah thank you for listening uh go out and buy those books that we told you about yes um and i hope everyone has a good weekend and take some time for yourself this weekend just take some time to think about number one numero uno Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, what? What were we talking about? <laughs> I think that's a wrap. Oh, yeah. Have a good night, everybody. Let's never do a Slim Jim. Oh, my God. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>